This is a message from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. Grace Church is affiliated with Sovereign Grace Ministries. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. The speaker for this message is Craig Cabanis, the senior pastor of Grace Church. As you're sitting down, open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We are three weeks into a series uh, called Empowered. Empowered. It's a series about the spiritual gifts, about the gifts of the Spirit, and um, understanding the gifts of the Spirit from the Scripture. And so we're looking at the longest passage of Scripture on spiritual gifts, which is 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. Um, We've already done two messages that were background information. So we looked in chapter 1 and talked about the church at Corinth from chapter 1, and we saw particularly how Paul related to the church at Corinth. The church at Corinth had significant problems, significant difficulties. They were, in many ways, a messed up group of folks. And yet Paul doesn't relate to them as a messed up group of folks. He relates to them thanking God for them. He relates to them as those that God had acted upon. He relates to them um, thanking God for them. He thanks God in chapter 1 for his grace to the Corinthians, that God saved the Corinthians. He thanks God that God is active in the Corinthian church. He thanks God that they have Every spiritual gift, chapter 1, verse 7, they have this abundance of spiritual gifts. And while we're entering a section where he is going to bring adjustment and correction to their misuse of spiritual gifts, he still is able to thank God that there is a genuine work of the Holy Spirit through his gifts in this church. And so his posture is one of gratitude toward God for the Corinthians. Now, while they have gifts, they also have uh, a big problem. And the problem we see in chapter 1 is that they have lost the centrality of Jesus Christ as the, the center, as the heart, as their focus of their church. And so they, Paul communicates to them that you're divided when you should be united. You should be saying the same thing. You should be focusing, agreeing on Jesus, but instead you're attaching yourselves to leaders and dividing from one another. The leaders aren't divided, but you're divided. So you're saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Peter, I'm of someone else, and you're dividing the body of Christ. Christ can't be divided. You're one in Jesus Christ. And Paul says, when I was with you, I knew nothing but Christ and him crucified. So the focus is Christ. He's the center of the church, but something else has moved to the center of the church. And that is the problem. And likely there are some who are taking spiritual gifts and particularly the gift of speaking in tongues. And they are moving that to a higher place. For some, maybe even a central place. And others are taking other things. And there is a division among the church. And so Paul, in this chapter, is going to begin to address the division that centers around spiritual gifts. Let's read verses 1 through 11, which I was going to teach on this week, but as I jumped into this, I just slowed it way down. I'm only going to talk about the first three verses, but let's read them all anyway. We'll cover the rest next week. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. However, you were led. 
Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. To another, the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the Holy Spirit. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes to this text of Scripture, that you would speak to us, Lord, that you would um, that you would help us, Lord, to understand that we wouldn't be uninformed, but that you would help us to understand your purposes by your gifts. Lord, I pray that you would give me strength and fill me with your spirit and enable me to communicate your truth in a way that will serve our church today. And Lord, help us all to hear from you and help us to not only be hearers, but to be doers of your word as well. Have your way in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Look at the beginning, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. The first thing Paul does is to address the fact that the Corinthians are uninformed. Um, Some translations say ignorant. I do not want you to be ignorant concerning spiritual gifts. Now, this had to hit the Corinthians as crazy. The Corinthians have an abundance of gifts, and the Corinthians have a superabundance of practice, particularly, it seems like, of tongues and maybe prophecy as well. I mean, when we get to chapter 14, Paul is having to tell them, slow down. You know, let's speak one at a time. And if someone's speaking and someone gets a prophetic word, well, that person can stop and someone else can share. So it kind of gives the impression people are talking over one another. People are speaking in tongues without interpretation. So folks don't know what's going on. I mean, the the Corinthians have gifts. They have experiences. So for Paul to write and say, I don't want you to be uninformed to the church with an array of gifts. The Corinthians, they've got to be thinking, what are you talking about uninformed? What are you talking about needing instruction? I mean, there may be some there who say, Paul, we could probably give you some instruction. He indicates that in chapter 4. In chapter 4, Paul describes the Corinthians as saying, you know, we don't really even need Paul. Paul says, hey, you guys are like already kings. You don't need me, speaking sarcastically. I mean, they they are certainly sensing that they know about spiritual gifts. But what Paul is doing is he's going to give them, by the Spirit of God, inspired by God, writing the Scripture, he's going to give them a new slant that they maybe they have not seen or not understood. He's going to bring an adjustment, a corrective to their knowledge, to their experience. Please note, he doesn't say that their experience is false, it's not demonic, it's not of the flesh, it's not imagined. Their experience is of the Spirit of God, but they are abusing what the Lord is doing. 
They're misusing it. They're not thinking of others. And so he wants to adjust them. See, God loves the Corinthians. Sometimes the Corinthians get a really bad rap. And I've spoken about some of their weaknesses. Uh, you know, I'm not gossiping about them. It's in the Bible. I'm just saying what Paul said about them. But we've talked about some of the Corinthian weaknesses. But God doesn't give up on the Corinthians. God loves the Corinthians, and God doesn't want them to be ignorant. He wants them to be informed about what are the real spiritual gifts, how are they to be used, what's, what does it look like when the Spirit is manifested in their services and their gatherings. He doesn't want them to be uninformed because Paul communicates a love that ultimately God loves the Corinthians. Listen, God doesn't want us to be uninformed either. I don't think it's an abuse of this passage at all or a misapplication to say when he says he doesn't want the Corinthians to be uninformed, that we could take that verse for ourselves. God doesn't want us to be uninformed either because God loves us and he wants us to understand his purposes through the spiritual gifts. Listen, I know that as a church we have folks who are at different places on the spectrum with regard to belief and practice in the spiritual gifts, the ones we're reading here. Um, I don't know that because I've taken a survey or because I've talked to everyone or anything like that. Actually, I've talked to not a ton of people about this, but I just know as many people as we have and as varied uh, backgrounds as we have, people are at different places on a spectrum, and we need to be informed. Like there are some folks in the church that are hesitant about spiritual gifts. As a matter of fact, when I said we're going to talk about spiritual gifts, open to 1 Corinthians 12. <gasps> that chapter. <laughs> that chapter. And so some can even be a little bit nervous about this topic. Some can be fearful even about this topic. Some can be fearful about this topic because of their background. They've had a bad experience. You may have been someone who's had a bad experience before. You may have been in a situation where you knew someone who highly promoted spiritual gifts and had all kinds of spiritual experiences and had all kinds of spiritual gifts that they talked about and used, yet their character was really deficient and they just appeared to be a hypocrite. And so you're like, I don't want any part of that. I don't want any part of that sort of thing. Or maybe you were in a context where you felt pressured or manipulated to participate in some spiritual gift that it seemed like others had that you didn't have, and so you felt pressured. Or maybe you felt judged in another situation. Now, whether people judged you or not, I, you know, is almost secondary, but you felt judged. You felt like they had a gift and you didn't. You felt like they were in the end group having this spiritual experience and you weren't. And so you felt like there was a click, or you felt excluded, or you felt looked down upon, or you felt treated like a second-class citizen. There were the really spiritual Christians having experiences, and then there were the losers, and you were in that group who weren't really having these lofty experiences, or so it seemed to you, or so you interpreted it to be. And so you just had a bad experience, and you're a little bit fearful that it could happen again Maybe you have seen some weird stuff on TV, on Christian TV. And so you're saying, wow, this could get weird. They said spiritual gifts, and I saw what happened. 
So you're thinking like next Sunday, I may show up here in a white suit and a bouffant hairdo and a lot of TV preacher bling doing all kinds of antics and theatrics because you saw that sometime on TV. Well, we're not headed there. I don't like white suits. And uh, I've had the same hairstyle since seventh grade, so you don't have to worry about that changing. It would take a miraculous work for me to get stylish in in the hair category. So... Don't worry about that. So there are some who are nervous, hesitant, fearful, and that's just a reality and understandable based on perhaps your experience. And then there would be another group of folks over here that are saying, it's about time. Yes, I was wondering when we were getting to get to this part of the Bible. I heard this church believed in this part of the Bible, but I just haven't seen the proof that this church believes this part of the Bible. And so you would say, I love the gifts of the Spirit. I've had good experiences. I long to see the presence of God moving in people's lives through the gifts. So there's some people sort of nervous, like, oh, man, I'm in this church, and they may believe this, and when's the other shoe going to drop? And then there's other people not waiting for the shoe to drop. You're grabbing the shoe. Yes, it's about time. I've been praying and interceding and uh, and I got a word for you on this, you know, I've got a gift I'd like to express. So that is a, a group of people as well. And that's people who have read the scripture and believe and have had a good experience. And then there's a group of people somewhere in the center. These are folks who say, yeah, I believe in the spiritual gifts because they're in the Bible. I may not have experienced all this, but they're there. And my faith is not in my experience. My faith is in the Bible and I see it in the Bible. So I believe it. But I'm cautious. I'm I'm uncertain. Uh, I'm uncertain because I see it in the Bible, but I don't really know what it means. And secondly, I've not really seen it practiced in a way that seems biblical. So I've seen something sort of uh, of an extreme, but I really haven't seen something that would be reflective of what I think is in the Bible. So I'm I'm open to the Bible. These are good Bible people who say, show me in the scripture, and then let's seek to walk out and practice what's in the scripture. So that might be a group that's open, but still somewhat uninformed, open, a little bit cautious, open, leaning even, open and leaning, but let's see and want to learn. So there's a spectrum of people in the church. And here's what I would say, that everyone in this spectrum needs to be informed including the people over here who have an experience and are eager to see God move in these ways in the church. Because I don't know that anybody had as much experience as the Corinthians did, and yet God is saying the Corinthians need to be informed because they're ignorant. They need to be informed. We all need to learn. There's not a person in the room that does not have room to learn doctrinally and experientially about gifts of the Spirit. Every one of us. I feel that strongly. I mean, I'm looking ahead and going, whoa, when we get there, what am I going to say? I have no idea what that means. So I feel that in a real way as I'm studying the Scripture. We need to learn, all of us. And this is why this is so important, I think. Because how do you maintain unity when you've got folks that are understandably hesitant, concerned, fearful, unsure, people that are open but cautious or open and leaning, and you've got people who are ready and willing and let's go. When you've got folks at different places like that, how do you not end up like the Corinthians? Here's how. Jesus stays at the center. 
Christ and him crucified is the center of the life of the church, firstly. And secondly, everyone should posture themselves as learners. And so the whole family learns and moves together. That's how you maintain unity. Maybe some people who are at a different place, we respect that. We love them. We serve them. Maybe somebody who's had an experience that I haven't had, I posture myself as a learner. And so, so rather than drawing our, our sort of camps or something like that, rather than having classes of Christians, those who have, those who may have, those who haven't had, or something like this, the spiritual people and the unspiritual people, the folks who really know God, the sort of folks who've had mystical experiences and the folks who just live a regular life, the supernatural Christians and the regular non-spirit Christians. Instead of having classes or something like that, here's what we have. Folks centered on Jesus Christ who are learning and wanting to grow in what God teaches about the spiritual gifts so that we can use our gifts to glorify Jesus and serve others and walking together with concern for others in that. That's how you progress in unity when you open up a landmine topic like spiritual gifts. And here's what happens when you're informed, when I'm informed. Once we're informed, I think something happens in our hearts. Look at, okay, 12.1 says, I don't want you to be uninformed. Look at 14.1. Pursue love and earnestly desire... Some translations say eagerly desire, eagerly, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. See, here's what happens. If I'm uninformed, I'm not going to eagerly desire gifts in a biblical way. I'm not going to eagerly desire the spirit in a biblical way. So when I'm informed, when the scripture informs me, it changes my thinking and creates a desire to see God move in the ways God desires to move through his gifts, through his people. And then I begin to have a desire for that. But being informed, 12-1, is a prerequisite for 14-1, desiring. And so that is the goal. He takes two chapters to talk about it, and then he can say, now desire God to move. And it's a command. Eagerly desire is not an option. It's not for some Christians it's not for those who are very flamboyant or outgoing or very sensitive people. So it's not for the artists and like the engineers just do doctrine and the artists do f- feel things of the spirit. No, that's not it at all. Everybody, every Christian eagerly desire. That's a command of scripture. But he doesn't start there. He starts with, I don't want you to be uninformed. Let's talk about the purpose and the basis of spiritual gifts. And then we will get there. That's how the Lord leads. The first thing he really does here to talk about is what does it mean to be spiritual? What are the things of the spirit? Look at verse one. What does he want them to be informed about now concerning spiritual gifts? I do not want you to be uninformed. The word that is translated spiritual gifts there is different than the word in verse four. Look at verse four. Now there are varieties of gifts. There are two different words. The word in verse 4, there are varieties of gifts, is, is a word charismata, which has to do with the base, the root of that word is grace. It's where if it's transliterated and made an adjective, we get charismatic. That's where that word comes from. The word means grace gifts or things given by grace or something produced by grace. It's here just translated gifts. 
but it means grace gifts. It's a very common word that's translated for spiritual gifts. So there, the emphasis is on grace, but the the verse 1, the, the heart of that word is not grace. The heart of that word is spirit. And it's a plural word, and it can actually be translated spiritual people, spiritual persons, or spiritual things. Translators have to make a call on that. Is it spiritual things, or is it spiritual people? Now, in, in, the, in, in the version I'm reading, and probably whatever version you're reading as well, it says concerning spiritual gifts. They've made a call that, given the context, it's probably not talking about spiritual people, but it's probably talking about spiritual things, because he goes on to talk about gifts. But the idea is, Paul is responding to something they've asked and saying, now, concerning spiritual things, we could say concerning things of the Spirit, concerning workings of the Spirit, concerning gifts of the Spirit, I don't want you to be ignorant. See, here's what Paul does by the Lord's, uh, by the Spirit's leadership here. Uh, what what God is doing in, in this passage of Scripture is that he's starting and he's building a groundwork to get to chapter 14 where he's going to talk about tongues and prophecy. The real issue is is likely a misuse of tongues, but that is not where Paul starts. This is how he starts. He says, I want you to be informed about spiritual things, spiritual matters, spiritual gifts, spirituality, what it means to be spiritual. I want you to be informed about this. And then he's going to go on and say at the next part of the chapter, beginning in verse 4, listen, there are all kinds of gifts. When the Spirit manifests himself in the church, when the Spirit is active, then all kinds of things happen. And let me list 12 or so. I haven't counted. I think it's 12. I don't know. There's some number. Let me list around 12. Somebody can count and tell me at the end of the service. But he, that's where he goes. So he, he lists these various things. And interestingly, he put tongues, puts tongues last on the list. Not because it's an unimportant gift, but because they've put it at the top of the list. So he's wanting to say, let me tell you about spiritual things. When God's people gather, there's all kinds of gifts. Here's some of them. Tongues is going to be at the end. And then he says this. Think of the church like a human body. One part of the body is not more important than the others. The, the eye is not more important than the ear. So he uses that metaphor in chapter 12. And, and so he's saying, look, every gift is important. There's a variety of gifts, but one gift is not better than the others. They're all needed. So let me tell you about spiritual things. There's a lot of different gifts. They're given by God. They're, each has its own place. And then at the end of chapter 12, he gives another gift list. List again in surprise, tongues is at the bottom of that one as well, making the same point. Then in chapter 13, he goes on to say, now, when you think about spiritual gifts and you think about using spiritual gifts and you think about the purpose of spiritual gifts, here's what you should think about, love. And is there a very familiar passage on love in chapter 13? Love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy. A lot of us assume that passage was written for weddings. And it's fine to have that in a wedding. It's a good description of love. But the context is not weddings. The context is spiritual gifts and how they're used in the church. So what Paul is saying, variety of gifts. Uh, we need them all. One's not better than the other. The one you think is most important is at the last in this list for that purpose because they're all valuable. And the way you use them is to use them in love. And now, chapter 14, he starts with pursue love. That's what he's been talking about. And earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially, tongues, no, especially that you may prophesy. And then he's going to give the relative benefit 
of prophecy in the worship service over uninterpreted tongues. Because if tongues are not interpreted, they're not understandable. So if they're not understandable, people don't benefit. So then he's going to have a whole chapter, a long chapter, on tongues and prophecy and how they work and what their purpose is, and more broadly, what the purpose of any spiritual gift is. It's kind of a case study, is what he does. So he doesn't start with, hey, we got a problem with tongues. He starts with this other and gets there through this process. But he starts with, what does it mean, really, to be spiritual? It's, it, the misuse of the gift of tongues is just a symptom. The root is, there's a failure to understand what it really means to be spiritual. In chapter 12, I mean, what does it mean... To be a people of the Spirit. What does it mean to see the Spirit manifest Himself, His presence, among the people of God? That's what He's getting at. What does it mean to be a people of the Spirit? How do we recognize the ministry of the Spirit? How do we know if the Holy Spirit is active? What does He do? What does that look like? How do we measure the work of the Spirit in our midst? These are critical emphases He's going to talk about. And they're very relevant for us. How can we recognize true spiritual gifts and the true ministry of the Spirit? Who is the Spirit? What does He do when He quote unquote shows up? I mean, not literally, but when He shows up, He's everywhere. But when He shows up, what is what happens? That's what Paul is answering. And listen to what His answer is from these first three verses. His answer is the Spirit draws attention to the person and work of Christ. That's really where he starts. In chapter 1, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Christ and him crucified. That's all I knew when I was with you, Paul says. And he's going right back to Jesus in chapter 12. He's not starting with, here's all the gifts. He's starting with, really, it's all about Jesus. A distinctive work of the Spirit is that he will shine the light on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's his emphasis. Well, how does he get there? Well, here's what he does. Look at verse 2. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute, mute idols, however you were led. So he starts with, look, you guys in Corinth, you were pagans before. What does that mean? Well, they were. most of them were a part of some kind of Greek religion, probably some kind of Greek mystery religion. And it's hard for us to compare. I mean, you can't just go down the street and say, oh, I'd like to be a part of a Greek. Well, actually, there is a resurgence of some of that stuff. But you're just not going to go down here and drive by a building and it says Greek mystery religion. Uh, you know, come on in here and worship Greek idols from the first century. The closest thing we would have would probably be some of the extreme uh, ends of the New Age kind of movement where there's a teaching and an emphasis on spirits and, you know, encountering spirits um, and, and, and that sort of thing. But what they would have been, ex- what they would have been familiar with was various kinds of spiritual experiences. They would have been very familiar with what he's going to talk about here in a second, utterances of a spirit. So maybe they stand before a mute idol or they gather. Paul calls them mute because they don't speak. But they gather in a temple of an idol and have various kinds of religious experiences. Some of those experiences uh, could look similar to Christian experiences, but they're imitations. They are either demonic or they are of the flesh or they are imagined or something like that. Paul earlier in the book has to tell them, do not go into idol temples. Don't go into the temples of idols now that you're a Christian. Don't join your friends at idol feast in a temple worshiping an idol. Don't do that. That, that's their background. He has to talk to them about that in the letter. 
And so likely what happens is they would have been very experienced in spiritual utterances where people would, you know, maybe channel a spirit or people would speak inspired by an idol or something like that. And so in reminding them about their past, here's what he's wanting to say. You don't know, you know, you don't know if the Holy Spirit is active by the experience itself. You know by the content. That's what he's telling them. You know by the content. What's the content of the experience? What's the content of the utterance? What's the content? What does it produce? And he's saying, if it's the Holy Spirit, he will draw attention to the person and work of Jesus Christ. For example, he says, someone could claim, you know, uh, to have an experience of some spiritual experience and curse Jesus. So he says, verse 34, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God, no one uttering in the Holy Spirit ever says, Jesus is accursed. Now, there's some debate on what that means. I don't think that people are actually doing that in their worship services. If people in the worship service were standing up and cursing Jesus, I think Paul would give it a chapter and not a verse. I mean, that's blasphemy. That's huge. It doesn't just get a mention. So probably what he means is that either in their past days, what do he say? Remember when you were a pagan? Either as a pagan in a Greek mystery religion, in some kind of worship situation, maybe there was a cursing of other gods. Maybe somebody did curse Jesus. That could have been a part of a, of a foreign ritual. Or it could just be a hypothetical statement to make a point. What would the point be? Just because someone's having an experience doesn't mean it's the Holy Spirit. For instance, someone having experience could stand up and say, Jesus is accursed, and you'd look at the content and say, it's not the experience, it's the content that tells me that's not from the Holy Spirit. He may look spiritual, he may be sweating, he may be shaking, he may be smiling, he may look deeply uh, contemplative, he may be having any kind of sign that looks like the Holy Spirit, he may be speaking passionately, he may be speaking quietly. That he may he may look like it's a spiritual experience. We may feel something in the room, but if he's cursing Jesus, that's not the Holy Spirit. Now, what happens when the Holy Spirit is speaking? Well, this is what he says, verse three: No one can say Jesus is Lord except by except in the Holy Spirit. So no one can utter Jesus is Lord except in the Spirit. Now, he doesn't mean that an unbeliever can't vocalize these syllables. Jesus is Lord. Any non-Christian can say that. What he means is only a believer can say Jesus is Lord and mean it. Only a believer inspired by the Spirit can trust in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Because saying Jesus is my Lord means that I've come to recognize that I'm a sinner, that God is holy, that God has sent Jesus Christ as a substitute to die for my sins, that Jesus was buried, that he rose on the third day, that he ascended to heaven, and that he rules and reigns from heaven as King of kings and Lord of lords, and I am submitting my life to him. He is my Lord. So if I say that and mean that as an expression of commitment of my life, only the Holy Spirit can open my eyes and help me to say that. To say that in a Jewish temple is blasphemy. To say Jesus is Lord would have been blasphemy to the Jews. To say Jesus is Lord above all other lords would have been offensive to the pagans who believed in multiple gods. So for them to say Jesus is above them all, Jesus is above Caesar who was worshipped as a god, Jesus is above all of these other idols, 
that would have been offensive to them who had multitude of gods. So the only person that submits their life to Jesus, who has moved from death to life, the only person that can move from darkness to come into the light and saying, I see Jesus, he's alive, he's real, he's my Lord. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. This confession of belief and submission to Christ. So what does it mean to be spiritual? What is the ultimate work of the Spirit? The ultimate work of the Spirit is to give a person new life such that they turn and say with their words, but more with their heart and their whole life, Jesus is my Lord. That's the work of the Spirit. It's not, you you don't judge an experience, you judge the content of the experience. So how do we know if a gift is being used properly? When the gift is exercised, others will appreciate Jesus more and the church will be built up and edified. If if I am the one that is exalted, you are the one that is exalted. If we are exalting ourselves by our gifts, then we're not using them in a biblical fashion. It's when the use of our gifts honors Christ and draws attention to Jesus and builds up his people, encouraging them and strengthening them. That's the sign that the Holy Spirit is at work. Gordon Fee has written an excellent commentary on 1 Corinthians. I don't agree with everything he talks about throughout the commentary, but when he talks about the gifts, I think he's as good as any. Very good. And he's written a commentary, and this is what he said about this. And he believes in the practice of the spiritual gifts today for sure. He says, The presence of the Spirit in power and gifts makes it easy for God's people to think of the power and gifts as the real evidence of the Spirit's presence. Not so for Paul. The ultimate criterion of the Spirit's activity is the exaltation of Jesus as Lord. Let me read that again. The ultimate criterion of the Spirit's activity is the exaltation of Jesus as Lord. Whatever takes away from that, even if they be legitimate expressions of the Spirit, begins to move away from Christ to a more pagan fascination with spiritual activity as an end in itself. They used to be about spiritual activity as an end in itself. And it's quite possible that some of the Corinthians, even still as Christians, are about spiritual activity as an end in itself. And that's why he opens up the whole dialogue with putting Jesus at the center and exalting Christ. And that's why he writes chapter 14 to emphasize the appropriate use of the gifts. For the gift used publicly is not just for me to have an experience which was going on, but it is to build up others. I'm built up by it, but it is for the building up of others that Paul speaks. Here's another quote. It's not on the screen. It's a little bit longer. This is written in a commentary by a guy named David Pryor. This is what he says. He says, This burning desire of the Holy Spirit to glorify Jesus is Paul's overall criterion of genuineness in this matter of spirituality. Let me rephrase that. For the Corinthians, he's saying, What's genuine spirituality and work of the Spirit? The burning desire of the Spirit to glorify Jesus. That's what the Spirit does. Indirectly, It pervades all these three chapters, this desire to glorify Jesus. Chapter 12 concentrates on the church as the body of Jesus Christ. Chapter 13 unfolds the essential character of Jesus Christ. 
chapter 14 takes two particular gifts, speaking in tongues and prophecy, and shows how any spiritual gift exercised with Christ-likeness serves to build up his body, the church. As the church is thus consolidated and begins to function effectively, so Jesus of Nazareth is seen as Lord of the universe. When the church uses its gifts for the glory of God and for the building up of the people of God, the body of Christ, Jesus is on display as Lord. As a matter of fact, in chapter 14, Paul's going to say that if you stand up and prophesy in church and an unbeliever comes in, that what could happen is that unbeliever could say, the secrets of my heart have been revealed. God just opened me up and addressed my soul. And that unbeliever would say, surely God is in this place. They would see Jesus is Lord. God is here. They wouldn't say, wow, that prophet is amazing. Check out that gift, that prophet. They would say, God is here. Because it would draw attention to Jesus and not a person. Real spiritual gifts. Spectacular, quote, unquote, and non-spectacular ultimately point to Christ. I use that in quotes because Paul's going to talk about different gifts here, and he does in other parts of the Bible as well. So he'll talk about something. He'll mention something like the gift of miracles in this chapter but also talk about the gift of administration. One we might call, that's spectacular. Another one we might call non-spectacular, depending on how administrative you are. <laughs> because if you're disorganized, it might take the gift of miracles for you to be administrated. I'm not sure how that works, but he's just saying some are dramatic, some aren't. But in every case, they are to draw attention, ultimately, when they're used to the building up of the people of God and honoring Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not saying when a gift is exercised, you know, that if it's a verbal gift that you have to say Jesus a certain amount of times or the cross has to be in every utterance that's given. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that it should be used to draw attention to God and to the work of Jesus Christ. So if someone was healed and being prayed for, the the goal wouldn't be to look at the person who prayed and be amazed. The goal would be to say, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Isn't it glorious that he's Lord over our bodies and that he heals? So you see what I'm saying? We can focus on Christ in the exercise of any sort of gift. That's the goal and evidently what may not be happening in Corinth. God does only what he can do through the gifts, and that's why they're called gifts. They're the work of God. They're things of the Spirit. They're spiritual Things. How do we apply this small section before we start getting next week into some of the various gifts he mentions? Here's the first point I would make, and it, it, it references back to what I said earlier about different places of the spectrum that we could be on here today. Here's the point. All Christians are spiritual. All Christians are spiritual. All Christians have the Spirit. If you don't have the Spirit of God, you're not a Christian. If the Spirit of God does not dwell in you, you're not a Christian. You wouldn't see and believe and confess Jesus as Lord if you don't have the Spirit. So this is very important to acknowledge that Paul, we may not be all equally gifted. We don't have the same gifts. We don't have the same experiences, to be sure. But we all have the Spirit, or we're not Christians. And this is where he starts that he starts with this idea, I don't want you to be uninformed. Think about when you were pagans and you had spiritual experiences. What's different now is that the spiritual experiences point us to Christ. That's the difference. And so if we've been pointed to Christ, it's the Spirit that pointed us there. This means there are not classes 
of believers. Sometimes we can feel that way. We can feel that way about others, or we can look and think they feel that way about us, and maybe they do. But there's not classes of believers. In the New Testament, there's not the spiritual elite. That there are some people that have secret, intimate knowledge of God that is not open to other people. That some people are the spiritually elite that have this sort of very close, sometimes secretive, hidden access to God that other people don't get because they've got a certain gift. That concept and that idea has a lot more to do with the Greek mystery religions where there were secrets that only certain people got through certain rituals in the temple. Or Gnosticism, which believed that there was a hidden knowledge that only certain people got in a spiritual plane. But the Bible would say that God reveals himself through the word of God, through the spirit, and that all of us are spiritual. We have differing gifts. We operate differently. We're wired differently. But everybody is spiritual. There's not spiritual Christians and those who are just don't get it. There's not the elites and then the everyday folks. If you have the Spirit of God in you, which you do if you're Christian, you're spiritual. So that's the starting place, is that we all have access to the Spirit of God. And that's wonderful, wonderful news. Perhaps the Corinthians didn't think or act that way. They thought certain people were elite spiritually. There's not the gifted and non-gifted. We'll look at this next week. Look at verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Look at verse 11. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Now, I may not have your gifts and you may not have my gifts, but you got gifts and I've got gifts. And the whole point of chapter 12 when we get on is that it is absurd to say your gift is more spiritual than mine or my gift makes me elite beyond you. That's the whole eye and the ear and the hand and the foot illustration he's going to talk about. That is wrong. You don't have secret access so that you're like the real, you know, special part of the body, like the brain which knows stuff and I'm the big toe just stubbing myself all the time. That's not the point. Paul's going to say it's even like those hidden modest places we treat with greater care. Making the point that toe might, man, pay attention to the toe. Don't view the toe as any less. Everyone is gifted. The, the, the church is not the haves and the have-nots, which is likely a Corinthian problem, and it breeds division. So here's the point. The greatest miracle the Corinthians ever had is they were dark and dead spiritually and the light of God woke them up and gave them faith and they came to a place in their heart where they said, no longer pagan idols, Jesus is my Lord. I believe in the blood of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. That's the greatest miracle and work of the Spirit. You've had that and I've had that. Not tongues. And I'm not opposed to tongues. When we get there, I'll make that clear at all. I'm not opposed to that. I'm just saying they elevated it rather than saying we're all spiritual. We all have different gifts. Let's follow the Lord and let's find out what, how God wants to use each of us in our gifts. Number two, all questions are spiritual. Two, God wants you informed. God wants me informed. How do I know if I'm informed? Well, 
I think 14.1, if you eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, then there's some information you have that God's been doing something, that that's a good thing. If you don't eagerly desire or you don't understand or you had a bad experience, then I would say, we want, or even if you have experience, let's, let's be informed. And we'll have some kind of resources out on the resource center that you can read, but here's the best resource. It's in your lap right now. So what I'm going to encourage is that let's begin reading 12 through 14. It's not a lot of scripture. And if you go, I don't know what they're meaning, guess what? There's no spiritual elite. I don't either. And I'm figuring it out a little bit of something to say each week as we go along. That's not exactly true. I mean, I've studied this before. But but still, I'm learning every week, right, with you. Every week I'm meditating, I'm praying, I'm thinking. So let's just read this through. This is the best place to go. I mean, there's other passages, Romans, uh, 1 Peter. There's some other passages where gifts are mentioned. But this would be a primary place. So let's read, let's meditate, let's soak our minds in the Scripture, let's ask the Spirit of God to speak to us from the Scripture and reveal to us what this means, and not only give us right thinking, but then give us biblically appropriate practice in response to our thinking, so that whatever gifts we have, God begins to use us in those gifts. Let's pray that God helps show us what our gifts are, and that we can use them. And here's the purpose of that, that ultimately Jesus would be exalted as the gifts are are exercised, because the body of Christ is built up. The church is built up. It's a means of service. He says that in verse 5. There are varieties of service. So there's different types of service that we use, that we um, extend when we use our gifts. It's a tangible means of grace. As I talked about earlier, it's a means of even reaching the lost. So God wants us informed. Let's meditate on Scripture. And let's do this. If we've had a bad experience, let's don't let bad experience define us. Let's let the Bible define us. I say that sympathetic and compassionate because I know there's some bad experiences. And if we've had good experiences, here's a challenge. Let's don't just rely on our good experiences, but let's take all of our experiences and freshly study and submit them to scripture and seek to grow even more so that everybody's getting informed at the same time. And we're all saying, here's how we're going to define what we think about the spiritual gifts. We're going to do the best we can to understand and apply the Bible. We're not going to react to people that we think are off because we think the Corinthians are off. <laughs> but Paul doesn't just react and say, oh, by the way, the Corinthians are messed up, just do the opposite. Chapter 15. That's not what he does. He balances out and teaches it. So we're not just going to react to something we saw that was crazy. That's unwise. We're going to apply. I hope I say we're going to. I hope we are. I invite you to um, apply the scripture. So God wants us informed. And lastly, let's anticipate experiencing God in a fresh way. Let's anticipate. Let's anticipate God doing things in our church that are his gifts and that are his activity and that point to Christ and point to the building of the church. And let's trust him for that. Let's rely on him. Let's pray that he would stretch us. Let's expect to see Christ elevated in our midst. Let's expect a renewal of gifts from the past. I had an impression, I just felt like as I was praying, that there were some people in our church that have experienced various gifts in the past and you're just not using them, just not current. There's something from the old days. And I thought about this verse. This is what Paul wrote in 2 Timothy to Timothy. For this reason I remind you, Paul says to Timothy, to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And then I love, that's the Bible. What I'm about to tell you is not the Bible, but it's helpful. Then in the ESV study Bible, this is the footnote. This was the little message they gave, the little interpretation. They said, such gifts tend to fade in strength when they are not used and encouraged. 
I thought about that. And I feel like there's some people in our church we say, this, I used to use this gift. I used to pray for the sick all the time and see God move. I used to use my gift of administration. I used to use my gift of mercy and help hurting people all the time. I used to speak in tongues. I used to prophesy. I used to feel like the Lord gave me a word of knowledge and an utterance of wisdom, as the scripture says. I used to feel like I had a, a leading gift, leadership gift that I don't use anymore. I used to feel like I have a speaking gift. I used to feel like I have a, I used to use a serving gift. I'm just on the sidelines now. And I think all those gifts, God would call us to fan into flame. How do you fan into flame something that's a gift? In other words, how do you make it happen if it's from God? Well, here's what we do. We meditate on the scripture so that we're thinking rightly about it. And we're in faith for God to do this because we see it in the Bible. And then secondly, we're praying and making ourselves available. And thirdly, when there's an opportunity, we're stepping out in faith to use that gift. And I just think there's some folks in our church that are going to have a renewal, a personal revival, going to have a personal Wow, I used to do that back in high school or college when I was young and full of faith. And now I'm old and lacking faith. (laughs) Wow, I don't want to just sort of fade away here. I want to fan into flame and be used by God again, like I was before. So I think there's a category of people like that in our church. And I just encourage you to, to trust the Lord. And then there's some who don't even know what this means. You're a new Christian. Or you're a Christian with a bad experience, and God's going to soften your heart to his word, and he's going to give you an ability to trust him, that he can use you in spiritual gifts. To trust him, God's going to soften your heart to trust in him. Not to rely on man, to rely on God and his word and his spirit. And you're going to experience God in a way you never have. I believe that's going to happen, and it's going to be wonderful and refreshing. So, as we're going forward, all Christians are spiritual. We don't have classes. We don't have the spiritual elite here. We all have the Spirit of God. We're, secondly, all gifted. God wants us all to be informed so that we can move as learners together in doctrine and practice. And we want to anticipate God to do something in us, whether it's new or whether it's old. And if it's old, fan into flame and learn afresh. And let's see what the Lord may do to glorify Himself in our midst through the various gifts. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit www.gracechurchfrisco.org.